Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. God sent his son, sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So you can picture that like a parachutist, you know, sitting in there, he's ready to jump and he's waiting for the cry, now, jump. And the Lord Jesus Christ waited for God the Father to say, now, as described as the fullness of time, and then God sent him forth, sent forth his son, that's Galatians 4.4. But God communicated this to Abraham, and when he did with this word now, he was communicating to Abraham this sense of urgency with the word now. You know, I will go down now. And when Abraham heard God say now, Abraham also got infected with this sense of urgency of it all. And Abraham sprung into action. We've already seen how this 100-year-old man really can spring into action, remember the big feast. But here's springing into action again. And, you know, there's a lesson in that for us. The closer a person gets to God, the more he will hear God say, now, and the more he will be infected with this feeling of the sense of urgency. Now, we don't have manana. We don't have tomorrow. It's now. And when the lost draw close to God, God's now sense of urgency infects them. And that's what it means in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, where it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. And in Romans 13, 11, when it says, Knowing the time that now it is high time to wake up, to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer. So when the lost draw near to God, They get infected with this now sense. They know the time. They know that the time of their life is the only time that they're going to have to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner and be saved. They know what Job was saying in Job 16.22 when Job said, When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. See what Job said? He talks about the rest of his life as a few years. That's really what they are. Let's face it. It's just a few years. And Job says, when a few years have come, I'm going. And when the saved draw close to God, they feel God's now sense of urgency, as Abraham did. And they get on God's page of concern that time's running out. And they pray with a red-hot fervency for others, like Abraham did. And they feel that sense of urgency, and they think about the loss, and they think, i got to do something. I'm going to sit down now and write a letter. I'm going to pick up the phone now and make a phone call. I'm going to jump in the car now and go reach that lost person that God's put on my heart with the gospel. Now, verse 21, God went on in verse 21 to say the purpose of his mission to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was this, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I'll know it. I will know, it says. So on first blush, on first look, and when we read that God wants to see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and so he can know, at first blush, first look, we say, what? <laughs> God needs to say, What? That can't mean what it seems to say on the surface. I mean, on the surface, you read this verse, and it appears like 
you know, God is saying something. I need to go down and see for myself. I can't see very well from heaven. <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying, you know, the distance is too far. My eyeglass prescription is out of date. I haven't been to the optometrist lately. I can't see from heaven, you know. <laughs> or I'm getting these cry messages, and I can't trust them. Something might be wrong with the connections. <laughs> false alarms, you know, God might say. It's false alarms. I have trouble up here in heaven with a lot of false alarms, and <laughs> I need to go check it out for myself. Obviously, <laughs> that's not what God is saying in verse 21. He can't be talking about God's failing eyesight, and he can't be talking about false alarms when we're talking about God that require him to go down and check it out for himself. Because we know God's omniscient. He knows everything. So what do you mean I've got to go down and see to know? So he's not saying that he needs to go out and find out something for himself firsthand because he can't trust those unreliable angels. (laughs) Can't get good help these days. Well, then what in the world is verse 21 talking about? If it's not talking about that, then what is it talking about when God says, I gotta go down and see for myself and to know whether these things are true? Well, we know God knows with perfect accuracy that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah are as bad as the cries that come to him say they are. So what's God talking about when he says, I'll go down now and see? Is it that God wants to give Sodom and Gomorrah one last chance? He wants to give them one last chance to see if they'll repent. That's what this is all about. You know, God gave to Nineveh one last chance to see if they would repent. So he sends Jonah. Jonah had a little trouble uh, agreeing to the mission, but he finally came around. You know, he had to take a swim over it. But anyway, in Jonah 3, 4, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. It's a big city. And he cried and said, here is his message of hope. (laughs) Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. That's all he said, and he enjoyed it (laughs) because he wanted to see that happen, right? But when God sent Jonah to cry to the city of their impending destruction, just as he was sending these men to Sodom of their impending destruction, God was seeing whether or not they would repent. And God found out. And it's very interesting when you read about that passage, how it parallels this one in Genesis in Jonah 3, 5 through 10, because it says, so the people, you know, first start off, Jonah made the message, you're going to be destroyed. Then it says, the next verse, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Believed God about what? That he has a wonderful plan for your life? You know, he's going to save you from your sins? No. They believed that God was going to destroy them in 40 days. And they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose off from off his throne. He laid his robe on him, covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. You know, these Ninevites were not nice people. They were not nice people. What they loved to do, they loved to take Jews, skin them alive, and then put the Jews' skin on them and taunt the bleeding pulp of the man as he's dying. So those are the Ninevites, you know. So Jonah's not real excited about them not being destroyed. He's very excited about saying, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. But there was a response on the part of the Ninevites. And it says, the king says in verse 7, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sacrifice and cry mightily unto God. And let them turn away every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. You very violent people. Who can tell? 
the king said this of Nineveh. The king was a who can tell message. You know, Jonah was a you will be destroyed message. The king was who can tell if God will turn and repent to turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Then in verse 10, it says something very similar to Genesis 18 because it says, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. See, just like he said, I want to go see Sodom. What does he want to go see? He wants to see that when they come to destroy the city, if there's going to be the Nineveh response, that's what he wants to see. And that's what he wants to see in every lost person too. He stands back and he says, what's your response? What's your response to the fact that you're going right down the middle of the road to hell? Will you cry unto me for mercy? And God is merciful. And he wanted to see that. And we sent Jonah to Nineveh. It was, it was whether or not, when confronted with the judgment is coming message, the Ninevites would continue in their sin or whether they would repent. And they repented. And when it says in Jonah 3.10, God saw their works, that's what God was looking for. He wanted to see that, and he saw it. In the same way, what God said to Abraham, I'll go down now and see, God is looking for the people of, of Sodom and Gomorrah to see if they're going to turn. Why did God want to do that? Why did God want to see that? Why was God looking for repentance just before he planned this planned destruction of Nineveh? Why did God want to find, see if there was this repentance just before he planned the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Because if the L is who God is, who is God? In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And especially just before the destruction, God's interested in this last minute opportunity, this repentance and conversion for a sinner to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It just kind of seems sometimes, I don't know if you ever noticed this before, it almost seems built in the body sometimes. You see, this is not uncommon to observe that just before a person dies, that they will rally. And you think, oh, they're going to recover. No, they're not going to recover. They're going to die. But they rally, and they seem to get this unusual alertness, and they seem to have this unusual ability to understand and to communicate. What's that? That's God wanting to see if there is any last-minute turning to him for salvation before the final appointment with death, described in Hebrews 9.27, is appointed unto men once to die, but after this a judgment. So once death comes, books are closed. That's it. And the opportunity to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for life and salvation is gone. Gone. And God knows this, so he gives one last chance, one last opportunity. He personally takes the interest to say, I'll go down and see myself. Now, come to verse 22. There's a lot of significance. You've got to follow the movements. We've got to follow the movements in verse 22 to see what's going on. There's a lot of significant movements of person that start now in verse 22. The men turned their faces from thence, went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Abraham has just understood that it's time for the last chance, as we've been talking about, for Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's a tension in the air. It's not comfortable here in this meeting. There's tense. And Abraham has come to understand that one of the men is God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at first, Abraham is facing all the men, God being one of them. And during that time, one, the Lord speaks alone to Abraham. He gives, he opens the envelope, reveals to Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's imminent. And then in verse 22, all of the men, after this done, including the man who is God, they turn from facing Abraham, and they now set their face towards Sodom. See, that's what it means. It says, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. So the explanation is finished. Abraham's been told. 
Abraham understands, and while Abraham is quickly processing in his mind what he's just heard, all of the men during that time are turning from Abraham, and they face Sodom, and they begin to walk away toward Sodom. And Abraham has quickly processed it. He's quickly realized that what's been said, he already understands that one of them is the Lord, and he understands that there's one decision maker in that three, and that's the Lord. And he focuses, Abraham does, on that one person, and he knows he's got to save lives that are in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so just as quickly as Abraham sprung into action to make that meal for these men, you remember all that, we see now the same Abraham springing into this action mode And in verse 22, we see Abraham, he changes his position. And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now that's something. That's something. I mean, God turns from Abraham on a very serious mission to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham stands in his way. (laughs) He stood yet before the Lord. Abraham's blocking his path. Abraham's standing in God's path. Abraham opposing God in his intended direction. I mean, what's Abraham thinking? I mean, you know, puny little Abraham standing and blocking God from moving forward. And what if you're walking today, a little ant <laughs> sees you trying to go, and the ant stands in your way and yells up, stop, I won't let you pass. <laughs> a little ant. If that happened, probably wouldn't even see the ant or hear him. And we'd just say, out of my way, little ant, I'm on a mission. As a matter of fact, that would be very dangerous for the ant to do, you know, because he'd probably get crushed. So what's Abraham thinking here? And what's with Abraham? What's he doing when we read Abraham stood up before the Lord? When we see Abraham stand in God's way to oppose what God intends to do, you've heard about the Abrahamic covenant? This is the Abrahamic chutzpah. <laughs> you write that down. It's the doctrine of Abrahamic chutzpah. And <laughs> because it took a lot of chutzpah. For Abraham to stand yet before the Lord who was moving toward Sodom. And that chutzpah that Abraham had, we're encouraged to have the Abrahamic chutzpah also because when it says in Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we see what he's doing, Abraham in Genesis 18.22, standing yet before the Lord, we can rewrite Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come with chutzpah unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Abraham, he shows a lot of nerve, just a tremendous amount of nerve and chutzpah here. He's standing up before the Lord. And you know what's more amazing? What's more amazing about this passage is not Abraham's chutzpah. What's more amazing is that God stops. He doesn't shove him away. It'd be amazing for you to stop and listen to the ant. It'd be, it's amazing. And that's amazing in this history that God stops and lets Abraham stand in front of him. And in verse 22, we focus on Abraham who stood yet before the Lord, but the amazing part is what's not written in verse 22. It's amazing that we don't read that that God said to Abraham, get out of my way, or that God pushed him out of the way. It's amazing that, that Abraham stood yet before the Lord, and the Lord stopped and let Abraham stand in front of him. And God would allow himself to be stopped. It shows us something very important about God. God does not want to judge the wicked. In Ezekiel 33, 11, he says, he says to his prophet Ezekiel, say this to the Jewish people that I'm about to destroy. He says, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And God says that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
And God says that he has pleasure when the wicked turn from their evil way to the Lord Jesus Christ, when they live. And God says he has pleasure when the wicked realize that God has made a way for them to come in repentance and be saved. And the wicked ask themselves the question, why should I die? That's what God has called us to do. God has called us to ask sinners to ask the same question. Why are you going to die? Why will ye die? The voice of God is calling. Why will ye die? Re-echo in his name. Jesus has died to save from sin appalling. Life and salvation, therefore, go proclaim. That's our role. And that's why God has pleasure in when the lost realize that to die and to go to hell is an unnecessary catastrophe. It's an unnecessary holocaust. It's an unnecessary showah. And to see God allow himself to be stopped by Abraham's chutzpah standing before him shows that God wants us to pray fervently for the lost to be saved. That's why God expressed his amazement that no one had this Abrahamic chutzpah to stand before him and pray for the lost when he said, oh, same book, Ezekiel 22.30. He says, I sought, in other words, I looked, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their head, saith the Lord. The fact that God said in Ezekiel 22:30 that he looked for a man, he sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, that should stand in the gap before him, that he shouldn't destroy the land, means that God was looking for someone with the Abrahamic chutzpah to stand in the gap, to pray for the God, pray to God, don't destroy them. And the tragedy for God was he said, I couldn't find anybody, I can't believe it. God was saying, I can't believe it, but I couldn't find anybody. And he couldn't find anybody with the Abrahamic chutzpah to stand before him and oppose God in his attention to destroy the land. And because of the tragedy of not finding anybody he was looking for with someone with the Abrahamic chutzpah to stand before him, there was a tragedy. Therefore, he poured out his wrath, his indignation, his fire, and he brought their recompense for their sins on the Jewish people. So when we see this Abrahamic chutzpah in Genesis 18, 22, it's a call for us. It's a call for us to resolve that we will not be passive, that we will not be laissez-faire over God's judgment. Genesis 18.22 is a call for us to resolve to have this Abrahamic chutzpah, to come with chutzpah to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when it says that in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need, It's not just saying that we should come to God that we may obtain mercy for ourselves and find grace for ourselves to be helped in our time of need. It's saying also that we should come to God that we can obtain mercy for others and so that others may find grace to help in the time of their need. So who are those people who are in the greatest need to obtain the mercy of God? Who are those who are in the greatest need to find the grace of God? Who are those who are in the greatest need to have the help of God? It's the lost. It's the lost who are going right down the middle of the road to hell and could not care less. They're the ones. And our calling is to come with Abraham and chutzpah to God to obtain mercy of God for the lost. So the lost can find the grace of God in their time of great need. Now, 
We're watching the movements, and we come to verse 23. It says, Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? So we saw in verse 22, the first movement for Abraham was he stood yet before the Lord, and Abraham stood in God's way. And now Abraham makes his next move, which we read about in verse 23. He drew near. Abraham drew near. First, he stands in God's way. Then when Abraham saw he was not reduced to dust and ashes, got encouraged, he drew near to God. See, in verse 23, when Abraham drew near to God, he was very aware that he was standing before God. And he realizes that him standing before God and speaking, it's not like an ant speaking to a man. Abraham realizes that him speaking before God is like he's a pile of dust and ashes speaking. There's a voice coming out of dust and ashes. So you look down at verse 27, he says that. He says in verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. So the correct translation is that I have, I have taken upon me, I have a lot of chutzpah to speak unto the Lord. I'm dust and ashes. I see myself a pile of dust and ashes. I'm speaking to God. And in verse 23, when it says he drew near, he sees himself as his dust and ashes getting closer to God. And even though Abraham saw himself as dust and ashes, even though Abraham knew that God could, with one flash of his eyes, reduce him to dust and ashes, nevertheless, he knew he had to draw close to God. It was going to be effective, his prayer. He had to get close to God. And so again, the amazing part of verse 23 is that what's obvious is God let him get close. You know, God didn't say to him, just a minute, buddy, you're in my space. He didn't do that. He let him go close. And so what's amazing is he actually seems to want Abraham to draw close to him. And he wants to hear what's on Abraham's heart. And it was for Abraham, so it says for us. And so it says in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. And Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And as it was for Abraham, so it is for us. God actually wants us, he wants to hear what's on our heart. As King David taught us in Psalm 62, 8, when he said, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's very important for us to see this whole statement in verse 23. Abraham drew near and said, and Abraham drew near and said, he had to get close to God before he could speak. He knew he had to get close to God before he could speak. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. He was saying, he says, you move a little close to God, God will move close to you. And the rest of the verse in James 4, 8 is that draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So James is saying in that verse that there's no drawing nigh to God unless there are two things that have to happen. First, there's got to be a cleansing of sinful hands. There must be the moment of truth when we come to God and get cleansed according to 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second, there's got to be a purifying of the double-minded hearts. There's got to be this moment of truth when we clean house and we say that, you know, the double-minded heart's the heart that loves God and also loves the world. The double-minded heart is the heart that seeks God, but not first. Instead, seeks all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But in Christ, we find cleansing. We find his righteousness. And once our hands are cleansed from sin, our hearts are purified for double-mindedness, then we can do what Abraham did in verse 23. Abraham drew near and said, then we can avail much in prayer, as Peter said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you today for Abraham and for the boldness that he had, Lord, when he came to you and how he teaches us. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us to be like Abraham. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor.org. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org.